0: You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be.
1: What's going on in the world, Uh, as we said last Sunday, when anything like this is going on in the world around us, it's reflective of thousands of other tiny situations like it that will never make the news. So whenever an area that has Western interests is coming under some kind of siege it makes headlines for us and there's plenty of places that don't but things like this are happening so it's important for us to pray not just for what we see but what for what we don't see that what we see represents always i want to show this a picture here of this is this is what the relationships in the middle east are like you got a picture too This is what friend, foe, or uncertain, this is a a map of the relationships historically that have gone on in a portion of the Middle East. And as we can see, highly complicated. Would we agree? In an Instagram account that Jacqueline and I follow, uh, they quoted James Baldwin, and he says this, I think it's better to know that you don't know that way you can grow with the mystery as the mystery grows in you. But these days, of course, everybody knows everything. That's why so many people are lost. Go back to that picture again. When you when somebody says, Pastor Bill, Jacqueline, what statement are you gonna make? We can't make a statement. You can't make a statement when it looks like that. Okay? There, there are times where a statement can be made because things are obvious and lopsided. But there are also situations like this where you can't. And so James Baldwin says, you know what, the people who are going to make a difference are the people who say, I don't really know, but I know we need to intercede and I know we need to pray. So I want to show you this diagram that uh, Jacqueline, Ian, and I put together this morning. When you think about any two groups of people that are having conflict, what we know is that a bridge needs to be made for them to be able to interact in the Lord because... This is happening, this is all happening on what we would all say is holy ground, right? But let me make sure we understand as Christians what we mean by holy ground. Holy ground is defined by what Jesus did in the temple when he said, My house shall be a house for all people. Things are not holy if only one dominant group holds them. That's not holy. That's unrighteous. So what we want is for this to be holy ground in the Middle East, but holy ground defined by Jesus, which is ground for all people. Okay? If you want your life to be holy, your life has to be a place for all people. If we want our church to be holy, it has to be a place for all people. When it becomes a place for one group of people and one group of people only, and it's easy for you to define who's in and who's out, it is no longer holy. They put Jesus to death because he was holy, Because in Jesus and in his followers and in the people he accepted, it was no longer clearly defined who was in and who was out. What's the woman of Samaria say to him? You say it's on this mountain that we should worship, but now we have to worship over there and you're worshiping over here. It's this issue that they're having right now in John chapter 4 at the well, and Jesus says the time is coming and now is when what? Neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will people worship the Father exclusively. But he will be worshipped in what? Spirit Spirit and in truth. That's holiness. Holiness can happen here. It should happen here. It should happen here. When the church can pray in a way that gets warring people groups to meet in God, then we can build the bridge between those warring people groups. Then we can fill in the bottom of the triangle. But as long as we're not meeting them in the Lord... We cannot build a bridge between any warring people groups. So you have a lot of people, many in this church. There's a fine line, and I want you to hear this. There's a fine line between your priesthood and your ideology. Hear what I'm saying. This is deep into the pool, even though it's going to sound simple. There's a fine line between your priesthood, which we know from Peter, right? We all are. Priests, yes? There's a fine line between your priesthood and your ideology. Your priesthood says that you have to bring the suffering of the people you represent, not just before God, but also before the world, so they can see it. We agree with this? It's not just that we want to bring other people's suffering before the Lord. We also want to bring it before the world so it can be named and so that it can be dealt with. The worst kind of suffering is suffering that's ambiguous and it can't be named. Yes? There's a fine line between bringing the suffering of a people that you represent before the Lord and before the world and then tripping up and falling into an ideology that only talks about that group's suffering in competition with other people's suffering. And it lands only on one side and it doesn't have compassion for those who are helpless like sheep without a shepherd on the other side of the coin. Our job is to remain priests. Our job is not to fall into ideologies. And there's a fine line between the the devil wants to push us from behind so that we're moving forward with our priesthood and he wants to push our momentum of intercession into ideology. We have to be priests. It's good that there are people that Jacqueline and I know that are bearing the suffering of Palestine. It's good that there are people that Jacqueline and I know that are bearing the suffering of Israel but we have to bear it to the point on the top of that pyramid so that there can be a bridge. That's the church's role, is to suffer the pains of intercession. That's our job. Our job is to be Jesus on the cross as stretched out to both sides as he can possibly be to the point where his body breaks. That's our job as priests. I remember when I put on a collar... There was, and Pastor Mark put on a collar, there was this uproar amongst the people that said, Aren't we all priests? Time for us to act like that, yes? Priests bring the suffering of various people they represent before the Lord, and not every priest represents every person. I bring, Jacqueline brings Salem Tabernacle before the Lord and before the world to so the best that we can. Other pastors, other priests are responsible for their people. There are people who need to bring Palestine, there are people who need to bring Israel. There are people who need to bring, you name it, the lists of people that are not represented on that screen right now before the Lord. So what I'd like to do, we open with Holy Ground, that song to get ourselves ready. I would like you, in your own, on your own, as we listen to Holy Ground and as we get ready for today's conversation, to bear before the Lord the pain and suffering that you know about and that you don't know about. To bear before the Lord... The suffering of children on both of these sides. Innocent people on both of these sides. Evil men and women on both of these sides. Bring them before the Lord. Again, what we want here is we don't want, in the church, we don't want this to be Israel versus Palestine. We want this to be good versus evil. We need the Lord to end evil, not end a people group. Amen? Amen. So Ian's going to put on that song. Let's just meditate and focus on that before we get started today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for. We thank you that you are a generous Father enough for us to be a bit disoriented by the things that happen in the world around us and to have moments of uncertainty about you and how powerful you seem to be at times. And so I pray for anybody who truly allows the atrocities that we hear about and experience who truly allows them to be felt, and then it rattles their faith, it rattles their orientation toward you. I just thank you that you are, in your goodness, whole enough to hold us in our disorientation regarding you in ways that we can't hold other people when they doubt us. And so I thank you that part of your holiness is that you hold us, that you hold us in times when we are crystal clear about everything, and you hold us in times that we're kind of walking in the dark, feeling our way around our faith. And so we pray that you would deliver every man, woman, and child from oppression today. As Jacqueline and I pray every day, we pray that your kingdom would come and you will be done on this earth. That everyone who leads anybody on any level would operate under the influence of your Holy Spirit today that you would be with those who are in unimaginable grief and sorrow in a way that is unique and sufficient for them, and that somehow the knowledge and glory of the Lord would cover this earth as the waters cover the sea. And we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you for that. I think uh, Jack and I were talking this morning together about one of the most endearing strengths of who you are, As a group of people is your ability to go with us from something very, very serious to something lighthearted to a humorous joke back to something very, very serious all within the same 10 seconds, 30 seconds, 30 minutes, two hours. And so we appreciate that about you. Uh, We actually don't want today to be as serious as that beginning was, but there's just moments where we have to offer the Lord the first fruit of our time. And just say, come quickly and feel the pain for a moment. Um, I don't know if everybody follows our church's Instagram account, but I post it on there. And uh, th- these, are my, these are the final remarks about what's going on for, for now. That when we say thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers can be used as a scapegoat way for people to make their little statements and move on. Thoughts and prayers could also be exactly right. And what we said in the post was, thoughts and prayers are good if you're really thinking and if you're really praying. And really thinking means thinking about the suffering of somebody else long enough for it to actually bother you. If you think about it only until it starts to bother you, and then stop thinking about it, it's not thoughts and prayers. It's considerations and well wishes. Thoughts and prayers is, I'm going to think about the atrocities that are going on in any area that comes before my eyes, and I'm going to think about it long enough to say, what would it be like if that was Sophia, Theo, or Jacqueline, and I was helpless? And when that gets me all the way down into my gut, then I pray as if it was Jacqueline, Sophia, or Theo. And those prayers have tears. Those prayers don't have a lot of words because I wouldn't know what to say. Those prayers have groanings and intercessions, as the Bible says, that are far too deep for clear and concise words. So let's have thoughts and prayers, but let's be a church that really thinks and really prays. As we say, the most common Christian answer and the most common Christian lie is, "I'll pray for you." Right? We don't want to. We don't want to do that. So, with that said, we will transition now. Swim up a little bit to lighter waters, like Bahama waters, like some nice tropical waters. And uh, Jacqueline is going to read some some verses for us. And I want you. We're not going to talk directly about these texts, but I just want you to see the theme in the text of. People who handle information well, and people who handle information not so well. So you're going you're gonna to have, uh, there's four texts that we're going to read here.
2: And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so.
1: Okay, so there are some usages of information where people are pulling in others to help interpret the information that they're getting. There are other situations where people are sort of receiving information on their own terms in their own way, even good information. But because it's not being processed in a communal way, uh, it's only a, in a sort of indulgent personal way, even good information can be handled very, very poorly. And so what we, what we want to talk about today, in in 1624, John Donne wrote a poem called For Whom the Bell Tolls. And in this poem, there's three main points. And you can, if you want to be adventurous, leave here today and go read it. and all of the various dialects and ways that it's read. It's riveting, riveting stuff. But one of the things he mentions there is that people are not to be islands, but continents. Because when you're a continent, it's easier to not get swept into the sea. When you become an island, storms can bury you. When you're a continent, it's much harder for storms to bury you. Next, he mentions that people must be aware that the bell also tolls for them. So in this moment in time, whenever there was a funeral service, whenever somebody died, the bell would toll. And the society around would know somebody has died. And he talks about observing this. He realizes that there are many people that when the bell tolls, they live aware that one day that bell is going to be tolling for their death. And therefore the bell when it tolls is a gift. As David would say in Psalm 90 verse 12, teach me to number my days that we may get a heart of wisdom. It's wise to not put off the thought that we're going to pass away. It's wise to accept the fact that the bell is going to toll for us. He says, however, there are people who walk around the streets when they hear the bell rejoice that it's not tolling for them, and think they're the kinds of people where it will never toll for them. Or they put off the fact that it might toll for them in a way that causes them to live unwise lives. That's the second thing he talks about. And the final thing he talks about in the poem is, there is pagan wisdom that can be a treasure if it's processed through the community of faith. So there is wisdom out there that is not explicitly rooted in a Christian faith. He, he's taking this off of St. Augustine. And there, there's wisdom that is not explicitly rooted in the Christian faith, but it is wisdom. And when we, we should be out there receiving that wisdom, but we should be processing it through the Christian faith. And when it's processed through the Christian faith, it becomes treasure for us as well as for others, even if it's not explicitly or only Christian wisdom. James would, would talk about this when he talks about wisdom from above versus wisdom from below. Isaiah says this in Isaiah chapter 8. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, and God help us, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Mm-hmm. So I told Jack and put all the soap boxes away because I don't want to stand on any of them. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread of them. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. So here's the thing. When it comes to information outside of the church. Is it good, and let's just, because Isaiah said we can, let's talk for a brief second about conspiracies. Is it good that people bring to before, that there could be unseen corruption in the governments that we live under. Is that a good thing? Yes. Is it a good thing that people are educated enough to talk about the possible ways in which the wealthy one hundredth of one percent could be orchestrating things to make our lives serve them under the illusion that they're serving us? Is that a good thing? Yes. Yes. Is it possible, though? For that good endeavor to go from priestly to an ideology, and you get dumped off the deep end rabbit holes of conspiracy theory, and all of a sudden lose the spirit of Christ, function in the zeitgeist or the spirit of the age, and lose yourself, lose your faith, and start preaching bad news to people around you? Yes. So every time we're functioning as priests, whether it's bringing the suffering of another group of people before the Lord in the world, whether it's uncovering the hidden agendas that exist in the secular governments around us, whenever you're being a priest, you are an inch away from being pushed off a cliff and falling into Dante's eighth circle of hell. (laughs) When Jesus is being most fully a priest in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's also rattled to his core About what it is that he's doing. And he asks God to take it away. The closer he is. Every time he's entering. The deepest parts of his priesthood. Immediately there's the demonic. Immediately there's the opportunity for him. To jump into a secular safety net. Blast everybody. But not reveal the foot washing. Cruciform love of perfect humility. So, did Jesus live under conspiring government? He sure did. The Bible actually says Pilate and Herod became friends. This would be like the heads of the two warring countries we just talked about becoming friends. It's an impossibility that Pilate and Herod would become friends. But they do become friends because they conspired to take one person out. Who did they take out? Yeah, I just want to make sure you're here. The name above every name. Okay. Okay. <laughs> What does he tell us to do to the conspiring Romans? There's people among us who are occupying us, who are making our lives terrible, who are infiltrating our land. What does he say to do? When they ask you to, when they command that you go one mile, be ready to go too. No. If they slap you, turn the other cheek. Again, rather not. When he's hanging up there and the conspiring religious system is mocking him and the conspiring secular political government System is mocking him. What does he say? Forgive, Forgive, Forgive them. For what? They know that part. We don't talk enough about Jesus saying they don't know what they're doing. So you see how, depending on how you process information, you could process information that in a priestly way, but that can quickly dump into an ideology. It's the same for pastors, it's the same for congregants. Our work as pastors to grow our churches and to keep them healthy you could easily dump into the big box ideology church as a business starbucks model in two seconds if we're not careful it could become about numbers notches on the belt how many salvations as opposed to the quality of our relationships with those people who are getting saved
2: you know in the old testament there's a verse uh that talks about guarding your priesthood it says the levi levites And it says to guard your priesthood because it's something that can easily be corrupted itself. If you're not intentional and aware that you have a priesthood and that you're supposed to be living like a priest in a certain way.
1: Yes. So that's why, that's why we wear collars to, as, as a mirror, not as a status symbol, but as a mirror so that you can look into the clergy around you and see who you are called to be every day of your life. Not your own, not wearing your own clothes, not owning your own life, but living for your neighbor because we're all priests and we need to guard that priesthood because again, you are always, it's so easy to trip you up in the area of your gifts because that's where you have the most momentum and wherever you have the most momentum, you can get pushed a little too far. Satan pushes you into the area of your gift because when your momentum's already going 100 miles an hour, you can get pushed right on out of it. You just—he wants to push you right through your gift to the other side, so you fall out of it. So, moms and dads, the way you love your kids, we could get tripped up easily in that love. Jesus could get tripped up easily in His. He focused very hard. Jesus, there's people here who need you. We have to be going. You don't think there's an ache and a brokenness and such a desire? What is the final temptation of Jesus? What is the final time Jesus hears, if you are? Come off that cross. cross. The three if you are's in the wilderness didn't touch him. But do you think that of the last one, somebody he's actually dying for? If you're the son of God, please get me off of this. It hurts. I can't breathe. My family's watching me die. That is the final temptation. Not turn stone into bread, jump off the temple. That He laughed those off. But that one, that's where he's got to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Like, I can't. This is hard. This one is getting me. Right? Right at the moment of his love, Satan tries to push him through that love into something self-serving. So that can happen while we are in our daily, everyday life, in the car, earbuds on, Whatever it is you're doing, you got the TV on, you fall asleep listening to you know, your favorite pastor, you fall asleep listening to me, whatever it's perfect, you, know? you fall asleep to these things, you got information coming at you all day, and if you're, like Jacqueline just beautifully said, if you're not guarding your priesthood, you won't realize that you went from priestly to ideology without realizing it. So we want to talk a little bit about how we can avoid this happening. This is a conversation not about discerning sources, but about a healthy way to process information, okay? So we don't want to talk about how to discern sources. Take everything that you listen to, everything that you read, including the Bible, one of the most attacked sources by the devil ever, to get us to think we're doing something good when we're destroying people's lives. Put that on the table. This is not about discerning sources. This is about learning how to process information, and it is, we've done our best to make this as easy to grasp as possible, So that we can go home and actually use this information. So, to illustrate this point, we have to be people who know how to use two things that hold up each other. An example of this, and we're not going to get into this, it's just an example. Chris Green, a long time ago, wrote an article about the two altar calls of the church. The Eucharist altar call, which he calls the liturgical altar call, and the free altar call. Which is, hey, the Lord just told me that there's 10 people in here who are little brokenhearted. If that's you this morning, would you come to the altar? We want to pray for you during the worship service. That's called the free altar call. So there's the Eucharist altar call, and there's the free altar call. The Eucharist altar call is a call to the altar, yes? You go to the altar to receive bread. It's an altar call every Sunday. And Chris says this, the Eucharist altar call without the free altar call will turn into ritualism. So churches that only have Eucharist altar calls and no other ones, it can get ritualistic. The temptation for it to be ritualistic is on the table. But then there's a lot of churches that have tons of free altar calls and maybe quarterly or monthly Eucharist. So they're having quadruple the amount of free altar calls as they are Eucharist altar calls, and that is where we can get tied up into emotionalism. So if there's only liturgical altar calls without free ones, it can be ritualistic. But if there's always free altar calls and there's no liturgical ones, it could become emotionalism very fast. So the Eucharist altar call feeds the free altar call. And the free altar call feeds the Eucharist altar call to make them both healthy. Does that make sense? Tracking? So what we want to talk about today... Jacqueline? I just... Okay. Two ways to process information that, like the two altar calls, have to be held up by each other. There's personal processing and there's corporate processing. There's the personal processing of information which has to happen and there's the corporate processing of that same information that has to happen. Okay? Corporate processing without personal processing, leads to a shallow faith. Jesus would say it this way. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself. He's in a corporate garden, but has no root in himself, endures for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word immediately, he falls away. So when, it's, when, when your whole life is people, 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 but there's never a personal drilling down of who you are in the Lord, you will, we will be shallow. We will be shallow. And shallowness is most easily revealed when difficulty comes and we bail right away. Thoughts and prayers, I'm out of this, right? But then, and this is mostly what we want to talk about, the personal... Without the corporate, leads to a private faith, which is not a Christian faith at all. I'm clapping back at this as much as I possibly can. There is a, again, fine line, tightrope between a personal death and a privatized faith. So personal without corporate. Now check, this this is some of... This is one of my favorite examples of this in the Bible. This is the disciples sitting down at the Lord's table with him. And Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. He throws it out there. One of you is going to betray me. And here's, listen to how this goes. And you've heard me say this before. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, is it I, what? Lord. Lord. He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as is written of him, but what of that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed? It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And then Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I? What did everybody else say? Judas said, do you see how he's become an individual and has divorced himself from the corporate? Eleven of them say, is it I, Lord? He pulls himself out of the group and says, is it I, Rabbi? So personal depth without a connection to the corporate leads to Judas things. You see that? So the personal needs the corporate to stay alive. And the corporate needs the depth that comes in your personal life for it to stay alive. They feed each other. Thoughts, comments? I I was
2: just thinking this is a great example of... um... It becoming an ideology too. In what way? In the sense that uh, they believe that Judas was acting out of uh, political ideologies. Nice. Um, and even one that seems to be uh, something in favor of his people to, you know... Further this... Further... Yeah, that's right. Further Jesus overthrowing the government that was oppressing them and becoming the king that he actually believed him to be. But it was his ideology that ended up mm. causing him to do this.
1: There you go. And, and you read, when you read about Judas, often he, he leaves to go do something like a couple times in the text, especially in God's John's gospel, he leaves to go do things. And there's that sense in which he's, He, as Eugene Peterson would say, he's definitely part of the crowd, but he refuses to be part of the group. And I think that's what a lot of us do. A lot of us want to be part of the church crowd, but we don't actually want to be part of the church community. Right? Like, even Jesus, his dad, and his spirit are one and also a community. They're very personal, right? And they're also very corporate. The Trinity is the personal and the corporate becoming one in and of itself.
2: And he tries, after all that, he tries to go back to the religious people and say that he did something and he's trying to make amends, but they're not open to receiving that.
1: For the same reasons, right? Mm-hmm. He goes Your ideologies. He goes to the Pharisees and says, I betrayed innocent blood and he repents. And he's looking for absolution. He's looking for them to forgive him. And because they're so wrapped up in the corporate only, they say, see to it yourself. Because people who are wrapped up in the corporate become very elitist over any individual that they could help. So Judas is wrapped up in the personal, makes a huge mistake, goes to the corporate and says, I've made a mistake. And the corporation turns around and says, see to it yourself. And he does. And it's their fault. They could have said, it happens to be Passover. We happen to be sacrificing this lamb. Come, sit in this mass, and we will speak the words of forgiveness over your life that Moses commanded us to speak. That anyone who faces this temple and asks for forgiveness will be forgiven. But they don't do that. So great call on the uh, personal. Yeah, and they they and the weren't acting
2: system. priestly towards him when they were supposed to be because they had bought into the ideology themselves.
1: So, do you see what's happening here? That's great. Thank you. This is a bit, whatever information you're processing from the Bible to the news and everything in between. It needs to be processed personally, not privately, and corporately but not in a shallow way. So we we have heard, and we might say more about this later, we've heard people say things like, I listen to sermons all night long. Or I listen to sports radio all night long. Or I listen to the news all night long. Here's the problem with that. When you're asleep, your body is receiving everything being said without the capacity to say yes or no. Which means you're saying, come on in. It's right to your subconscious. And you are being silently formed by information that you are shutting off your discernment muscles to receive. i can tell you from my own sermons, from my own sermons, if you listen to me and shut off your yes or no muscles, I'm going to lead you astray.
3: <laughs>
1: Straight up. Go tell your friends you got a pastor who said that. There's nothing more helpful than a wife, Leadership, friends in the ministry, who we all listen to each other's sermons and say things like, really good point, maybe next time you might want to say it this way. That was a funny joke. Maybe not ten seconds before Eucharist. (laughs) Or, and we've, we've all learned now, basically just to call Chris on Tuesdays and say, I want to say this, and he would say, oof, I wouldn't. It's like, okay, yeah, neither would I. I was just kidding. We were gonna, we were just yeah. testing you to see. But like there's this way in which, if you just listen to something, you you better believe that by the time we're opening our mouths before your very precious ears that we love, this information has not just been processed by us. We have rung it through the gamut of people who will inconvenience our lives. That's why we never ask people what, should we, what we should say the day before we say it. Because there are times where you just have to crumple up that piece of paper, throw it out, and try it again. Recently, without getting into too many details, we had somebody here who in the middle of an altar call made a joke that I felt could be very inappropriate. I called four or five of you and said, Hey, here's what I heard. What did you hear? And I got a lot of wonderful counsel about that was able to handle it in a way that reflects we're not the kind of people who would make those jokes. But again, I did not just jump at my own gut reaction because I'm one person with one worldview, one ethnicity, one color, one view of the world. I needed four or five others to help me realize what should I do here, right? And so like it has to be personal and I waited until Wednesday. It needed to get down into the depths of personal but then it needed to be made corporate Said, hey, I need wisdom here. What do we do? Every one of them said, we are so happy we don't have your job. And I said, well, with all of you answering your phones, I'm very happy I have mine. Right? We're not in this by ourselves. You're not in this by yourself. Does this make sense? So, whatever you listen to, even the Bible, even the Bible, read alone, processed alone, just me and the Holy Spirit, that's all I need. No, it's not. That is so dangerous. Because the Holy Spirit isn't by himself. He's always with the Father and the Son. We need to read the Bible, process Christian things together. Together. One, one more thing on this. We, when Back, you know, when I was in other churches, to say, to be safe, we would say things like, the pastor offered a book and said, hey, I want us all to read this book. We would read it and say, this is what we believe now. So you would take the book and say, our pastor's saying yes to all this stuff. But that's not how we want to do things. We want to throw books out like we're going to do in January with this book and say, we believe that this book is overall good. But let's learn from what's good, and let's also find what we don't think is so good and learn from that as well. There's not just yes muscles or no muscles, it's yes and no maturity. Does that make sense? Anything to add there? Moving along. We're running out of content here. That will never happen. That will never happen. And that will never happen. With you. No. <laughs> oh, please.
3: Uh-oh.
1: Jacqueline's got content. She's just, she's just more economical with her content than I am. <laughs> she, she saves. I spent. But we both have content. So we want to say that you're already learning in isolation... Creates the most common cult that exists in the world today, and that is, you ready? The most common cult in the world today now is the individual. A person who has, in, in themselves, they are a leader, a follower, a pastor, a congregation, a judge, a jury, and an executioner, all within their own self. And they don't need anyone unless that person's going to agree with them. The most common cult in America right now is the individual person cut off from a healthy community of faith. receiving all kinds of information in the comfort of our own headphones and walkmen. I know. I, uh... Dad, remember the red and maroon one that you had? Yeah, you hit the button and it took like an hour and a half for the thing to open for you to put the. that person We can and, and then we have the illusion That we're connected because we're receiving this information a lot in a lot of ways on social media platforms So there are actually a lot of people involved But when you're not listen to me when you're not accountable to somebody's physical physical face It's not a relationship I could say stuff. I think it was Annie. She's, she's in there watching our kids right now. Was it Annie? Or was it Matt? It was Madeline. Anthony, it was Madeline. Your wife. You know her? Yes. She said, back in the day, we, people used to have liquid courage. They would drink a little bit and start saying all this stuff. And she said, now we have hiding behind our screen courage. Same thing. We're drunk on privacy and saying all kinds of things that you wouldn't say. I've had people in this church say things to me and I said, "All right, cool. Next time Chris House comes and we all meet on a Saturday morning, can you ask this question out loud?" No. Ah, okay. Just check it, right? When you're accountable to somebody's face, that and you can say something that's when there's a relationship. That's when there's the corporate When you can just say stuff without having to see the joy or the pain that that thing that you said causes. It's the illusion of the corporate, and therefore it's the personal becoming private. Thoughts? You're right. Mm -hmm. makes me nervous when I say a lot of things and you don't have anything else to say. I'm just thinking.
2: I'm just thinking.
1: Yeah, that makes me nervous. I totally... (laughs) Alright. It'll all come out at the end. Yeah. (laughs) So we have... Let's see what time it is here. Yep. Cool. We have two processing techniques. And this is hilarious. So, Jacqueline, tell them about when we f- like first started dating. And I will call you and try to impress you with my biblical knowledge.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: this is not... This, none of this is fabricated. I would call it's her and be like, up. just try to steer the conversation into... She comes from the most holy family on the face of the earth. So it's like, I have to, I have to flaunt this, this part of my life. So I start, I start just dropping dimes, boom, making it rain out there. Danny dimes, you know what I'm saying? And then Jacqueline starts to ask me You were, you were very proud of yourself. Super proud of myself.
2: Um, I started to ask you where you heard that or read that and you didn't really have an answer and you were kind of mad at me for asking that
1: the word kind of is her after 13 years showing mercy and grace i was very mad like what are you talking about where i heard it from it came from me that's why it's awesome when i would say stuff to pastor mark what's something that he said that would always bother me do you remember in the same vein
2: the the authors and the sources? Yes.
1: I would say something to Pastor Mark, and he'd say, oh, Eugene Peterson said that. Oh, yeah, I, I just recently read, C.S. Lewis said that. And I'm like, I didn't read them, so I said it, so I'm Eugene Peterson and I'm C.S. Lewis. Here's the thing, I didn't realize he was complimenting me. Right? I didn't realize that Jacqueline was trusting me. That's interesting. Where'd you get it from? Nowhere. Nowhere. But then I finally, this is, this is the seg- this is part two of this harrowing tale. I, I started doing, started research. doing that <laughs> tons of research and I'm now writing sermons with quotes and all this stuff. And then what does she say? Tell me what you said next. Um, what's your one sentence? Yes. What's your one? What's your one
2: sentence? I'm like, my
1: what? She's like, tell me your whole sermon in one sentence without all the quotes and cites
2: you can see where i was an english major right an english yeah. teacher actually <laughs> right because you have to have all your citations and your sources and know where you got things from but then also you should be able to narrow your main point down to one statement wow. yes
1: what is something i'm just putting you on the <laughs> spot with trivia questions here what is something you would always hear once you started doing that while i was preparing sermons
2: words I can't say is down here. I don't know. Yes, that. Kobe. He, he would spend hours writing sermons up and then just toss the entire thing out.
1: Because I couldn't say it in one sentence. So part one, you need to say more. You need to cite sources. I need to know where you got this from so I know that it's just not craziness. So we do that. And then she's like, There's way too much here. You're citing way too many things. Can you say it all in one sentence? That's what I was doing when I first called you. I was saying it all in one (laughs) sentence. But this is the two processing techniques of information that we need. We need to be consumptive. We need to consume a lot. You ready? This is important for everyone to write down. You need to consume a lot of information that is different In its stances on things. Fight the algorithm. We should get t-shirts made. Fight the algorithm. Fake your phone out and like some stuff that you don't like. Make it not know you. (laughs) Pause on something that you would not normally pause on just to confuse it for a second. Read the opponents of the things that you believe. Not to arm yourself. Salem. Not to arm yourself. To educate yourself. To be able to be hospitable. Isn't it amazing when you go to somebody else's house and you sit down at the dining room table and they have, sitting out there, your favorite candy, Your favorite pumpkin spice creamer for your pumpkin spice coffee that they have. And you sit there and you say, you know, I spent, I spent, uh, when, when Pastor Mark and Danielle moved to Oklahoma, I went to their house to spend a a few days with them. And I went in there, me and Chris Green showed up and in Chris Green's bedroom, there was like all these like weird sophisticated candies that i never heard of in my life. And I had Tootsie Rolls and Jelly Beans (laughs) (laughs) and a Christmas Yankee candle in July in Oklahoma. But the thing is, you walked in, we walked into our rooms. So here's Danielle like, going to the family dollar to get my stuff and going to like the dark web to get Christmas candy. But what was happening there was they knew not just who they were, Pastor Mark and Daniel, but they knew who we were. And they made us in a new place feel like there's a little taste of home here. Right? Imagine we educated ourselves on our opponents... Not to be able to fight them well, but to be able to actually lessen their defensiveness by finding things that we do agree on. Mm -hmm. Setting them out on the table. Now we can have a discussion about the more tense stuff. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's important to be consumptive. It's important to consume information, especially if you lead on any level in your life. From having children, to having students, to whatever else it may be. It's important to know more than just what is easy for you to comprehend. And we're going to read a scathing verse from Jude in a second about that.
2: Um, I think also uh, you've said this before about looking at the types of authors that you're reading and the various demographics that they come from and making sure that that is varied too. (laughs) Um, And I was just thinking about uh, Esau Macaulay's um, book, Reading While Black, um, reading the Bible. And he talks about how a lot of times we just read it with our own ethnicity and background and culture, um, but the Bible is not meant to be interpreted that way. And so even when we're approaching the Bible, we have to read it through a broad variety of voices from around the world um, that will give us a more full understanding of it. Otherwise, we're going to be too narrow-minded and not really be able to learn everything about Jesus that we would normally be able to learn when we read it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, this is this is not about white or black. Even Chris House said this to me, but it's not about white or black. It's about preaching in... Uh, areas that are more wealthy and areas that are, you know, more poor. He said. He said to me. He goes, in your life, when you heard the story of the widow of, of the woman who lost the coin and she was sweeping her whole house to find it, what was the coin? And I was just like, you know, me, like same thing with Jack. When I was like, all these analogies. The coin is my faith. The coin is whatever. He said, go preach that sermon in a place where everybody's living below the poverty line. And you know what that coin is? A coin. And you know why I have to search my entire house to turn it upside down? Because I need it for milk. Oh. So he said, when you read it just through your own lens, there are some people where you're privileged enough for the coin to be a metaphor. There's other people where the coin is a coin. And you're disappointed while she can't find it, and you're rejoicing with her while she does find it, and you know why the whole town shows up to rejoice that she found it, because everybody understands how heartbreaking it is to lose a coin, which could be half of what you have. So that's the point. That, that, that's Again, that's not like an ethnicity thing. That's just like a, a financial status
2: Absolutely, portion. and just coming from a woman as well, I never realized how little I related to people like Mary... Until I became pregnant with Sophia and it it changed how I viewed Mary and how much like the ways that she thought about Jesus and it just gave me a different perspective that I had never had and I think we all have those unique perspectives with various things that happen in our lives that everyone else needs to hear you know they they we all need to be able to hear other people's voices to speak about things that we haven't experienced yes and make connections to Christ and the characters in the Bible in, in unique ways
1: yes and i mean you all know my my part of my testimony from 2020 and forward was George Floyd's execution me calling some friends to say hey I can't get together with my church but I need to know what to say here and a friend of a friend his name is Dante Stewart he said to me well I have my first question for you is what are the demographics of your church and I told him proudly what the demographics of our church is and then he said okay turn around and look at your bookshelf how many books do you have and I said uh, three to five hundred he said how many of them are written by black men and women and I said one He said, how are you representing the people you pastor? You're not reading how they read the Bible. And it was a moment where I had two choices. Fight, argue with him. Like, you know, the spirit of God transcends that stuff. (laughs) That BS. Or just say, you know what? Here's a moment for me to just realize that I didn't realize that I was wrong. Own it. And start to let this empty shelf fill up. Over the next few years. The way the other shelves have. You just have to have that moment. We all at some point have to have that moment. I don't know if you remember. We called it the moment of going from zero to one. The biggest distance in growth is zero to one. It's a larger distance than one to 99. Just not knowing how off you were. And not even having the awareness of it. To coming to the realization of it. Zero to one is the longest distance you will travel in maturity. One to infinity is easy after zero to one. But again, like those are the moments where it's like, look how easy it is. This wasn't an internet algorithm. This was the gray matter in my brain algorithm. Just without realizing it, pulling books that look and sound like me into my life. You do it. It's easy. If you're not trying, that's what you'll do. I have to remember even to this day after that experience to say, okay, just read two books. They're both written by men. I should read a book written by a woman now. Right? You, have to, you, have to, you don't have to try to read the things that are easy. You have to try to listen to CNN if you're a Fox person. <laughs> I just saw the best reaction and I'm just going to leave it there. I caught it because I have a lazy eye. Praise the Lord for this lazy eye, but oh my goodness gracious, yes, you have to watch the other side and ask the Lord to show you something that that side has that he's affirming
0: Yes (laughs) Hold your horses I will talk to the Lord Thank you for what you just said, everything and open up the screen for me and um, going back to some of the things you said, one of the things I remember is when Pastor Mark was here. And the situation happened in another state where at a church, church people were killed. Yeah. And so we all came to church that Sunday, praising the Lord. But Pastor sins in the spirit, that something was hovering over the body of Christ. And he was right. Some of us, you know, was feeling some kind of way because of what had happened. And so though we were trying to praise the Lord, we weren't fully there. Because certain things needed to be addressed. And he stopped everything and addressed the problem. And the problem was, for some of you who weren't here, um, a white guy, young man, went into a church, and he killed a bunch of black people. Okay? Um, I think that was 2015. I could have been wrong. And so Pastor Mark says in the spirit that, you know, many of us people of color, (laughs) you know, we were feeling the pain, and we were. And I know that because I was there, I looked around at all the black people, and I felt what they felt, and the brown people. And there was some of y'all who don't look like us, who felt it too, mm-hmm. okay? Whether you admit it or not, don't matter. You felt it, and I felt it. And Pastor Mark admitted it, and we prayed, and we moved forward, and it was wonderful. Everybody moved in, the spirit of the Lord came in, and it was good. So thank you for what you said. Um, and I forgot about
3: it, but you led
1: me to it. And he's been a good teacher to that end. Excellent. You know, he's told us, if you, you want to preserve this gift that we have in the church, you, you need to have your eyes and ears open. And like I remember <clears throat> Rabbi Brent said to me, he said, you know, it's easy, and, and Father John Williams has said this to it's easy for some of us because our churches are entirely Democrat, or our churches are entirely Republican. So we can't imagine how hard it must be for you as a pastor to navigate the ethnic diversity and the political diversity in your church. And what I always say in response to that is it's, it's, it's not just hard for me, it's hard for everybody in the church to navigate that. Because we all want to hear things, and everyone in this church, not just me, Not just Pastor Mark, but everyone in this church has laid down everything that you would like to hear to realize. A lot of different things need to be said here because there's a lot of different people. Both religiously, when it comes to baptism, that was a challenge for a lot of people. And you all responded very well. Helped me respond very well. And we have 53 people getting baptized in a month and a half. We've done it with religious stuff, liturgical stuff. Social justice oriented things, you name it. But it's not just it's not just the hard work on our end. It is the hard work on your end to recognize that there are going to be days where you need to hear it and you will. There are going to be days where you need to hear it, but somebody else needed to hear something different and they got what they needed to hear. But in a couple Sundays, it will come back around like sharing, sharing the pain, sharing the celebrations in a area where we have limited amounts of days and time to do it all. That is what I would say is probably the strongest part of who we are as a people, as a community is our ability. You're all hospitable. It's not just Pastor Mark, Jacqueline and I, Danielle, it's, it's, it's you, it's you. And the way that you have come to our rescue when we're like, wow, we got to open our mouth. We have to say something we don't know. And the way that a lot of you, like I know Barbara to, to your point, Sometimes when we call somebody in the church and say, hey, we need to speak to this thing that happened, it's traumatizing for people to have to relive their pain to explain it to somebody who doesn't understand it. And again, we appreciate the labor of love, the cost that it takes for some of you to explain things to us that you feel like maybe you shouldn't have to explain. Relive a lot of trauma over and over and over again so that we could understand it so that we could digest it so that we could pastor well it's the labor of love here we're just tightening some bolts we're not reworking the ground here thank you for that Barbara well I think this is a good time to go to breakfast oh wait let's just let's just finish this real fast so <clears throat> real quick and then Jacqueline and then breakfast so consumptive only we said this already You're going to be unaware of your own malformation. Don't listen to information all night long when you fall asleep. Please, in the name of Jesus, don't do it. Sleep in silence. Let the Holy Spirit hover over you. You don't want to be being formed and also not be coherent at the same time. And then meditative only, without consuming diverse information, will make you reductionistic and calcified. You will you don't, you, you'll be the size of the information that you read, and you'll also become cement with it. Hard to turn, hard to pivot, hard to be. Only people who agree with you can fit into the fossil that you've become in that moment. So read, consume information, diverse information, and also be meditative. And we're going to talk in detail about that after breakfast.
2: I was going to talk about the gallon.
1: Yes, okay, so, switching gears, we're going to eat, we're going to be ready to eat. Ian, are they ready? Five minutes. Five minutes? Cool. Jacqueline, I have on my notes here in massive font, don't forget to announce the Christmas Gala or Doreen will murder you, like she almost did last time. We're scared
2: for our lives. We're scared for our lives. And she's sitting right there. She's sitting in the front
1: on purpose. So, Jacqueline's going to share something about the gala, we will pray, and then we will eat.
2: Okay. So, um, we really need a few things for the gala to be able to um, run smoothly this year that we don't have yet. The first thing is, men, if you are able-bodied, we really need you to sign up to volunteer for that Thursday and Friday night. Um obviously the we asked some women to volunteer as well for um <coughs> specific roles but we also want to make sure that the women are able to host tables and um and be a part of the tables and talk to people while they're there. So we really need as many men um as possible to sign up for um a role to volunteer for those nights. Um, we're, we also really need hosts, table hosts for Thursday night. We're pretty much full for Friday night. Um, but we really need some more, uh, table hosts for Thursday. So if you have a table that you're hosting for Friday, but you're not hosting for Thursday, um, consider maybe doing both nights. Um, or if you're not doing a table at all and you're, you would like to do that, join with a friend if you want. Um, if it's. The uh, money that's an issue. Join with someone else. Do it together. If it's you know shopping time that you don't have, doing it with someone else will really be um, a way to do it. And I know it's it's obviously fun to do as well. We have some resources for people if that's the problem. Yes. Okay. Doreen said we have resources for people if that's an issue as well. Um, And then the last thing that we need is we are asking for donations. We um, still need quite a few donations for our auctions. So if you have things at your house that are new or like new, um, especially like beauty items, spa items, things like that, but really anything that's new or like new, uh, we're going to be collecting that over the next couple of weeks in the foyer. So just bring it in, place it in the basket. Um, That would be really helpful as well. Am I forgetting anything?
3: Um, we still need uh, women for other volunteer areas,
2: particularly on Thursday. Okay, so women for other volunteer areas. All of the sign-ups are right on the desk right there, so as you're going to get breakfast, take a look at the sign-ups, see if there's anything that you could do. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Let's, uh, let's pray. First of all, let's put our hands together for these guys. And uh, there are, as you're standing online, you're going to pass uh, gala opportunities. They'll be right there on Ian's desk. Can we put our hands together for that guy, too? Helpful. Don't know what kind of garbage he's wearing on his body right now, but besides that. Hey, it's New York.
2: It's not it's New,
1: New, New York. York. It's, it's Buffalo. It's, it's the only team that plays in New York. <laughs> anyway, let's pray. Let's pray before the devil starts to fill this space. Lord, forgive Ian. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and anybody who cheered for Him. Thank you for this food. Make it health and strength to our bodies. Let every piece of food we ever eat remind us that we are dependent on you and that there are people who don't have what we are indulging in and that we need to do everything we can to work for them in life. Pray that you bless the hands that have prepared this meal and allow it to be Eucharistic for us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Food is out. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain, abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. I actually want to read this again. These people... And I'm going to say, Bill D'Antriano blasphemes all that he does not understand and is destroyed by all that he understands instinctively. Just, Just pause there for a second. They blaspheme all that they do not understand and they're destroyed by what they understand instinctively. Jacqueline and I laughed because this is Paul actually prophesying about the algorithm before the internet was ever even a thing. You blaspheme, you you don't like anything that you don't understand, and you're destroyed by everything that you understand instinctively. What you understand without thinking. What you understand because it just fits right into your life. And let me say this. All of those things are generally good things. We are destroyed by only living in the good things that are the easiest for us to live into and blaspheming everything that doesn't easily fit into our life. Or our purview, or our ideology, or our stance, or our side, or our doctrine, or whatever it may be. So what happens when you live this way? They list three things. In verse 11, they walked in the way of Cain, abandoned themselves to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. So, they relate, when you blaspheme all that you don't understand, and you're destroyed by what you understand instinctively, there are three things that we do wrong. We end up living like Cain, we end up living like Balaam, and we end up living like Korah. We won't we 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 could do three Bible studies on each of those, but to just give some basic, as Jacken would say, single sentences to these, blaspheme all that they do not understand. Listen, that means blaspheming all that you don't understand is a refusal to learn beyond what you learned. That was most influential first. Every one of us received information, especially in our salvation story. We were saved into a denomination of Christianity that was well doing its thing by the time we showed up there. And so we learned all of this stuff, whether it was Catholic, Greek Orthodox, Pentecostal, Evangelical, whatever it was. We learned it, and it was influential. But when we only ever stay with the first things we learned that were the most influential, and you ready? Maybe even saved our lives. Okay? If that's all we ever guard now for the rest of our life, we will end up blaspheming the other things that are equally as good that saved other people's lives also from a different denomination of Christianity. It's just for that one example of of faith stuff. But this is political. This is ethnic. This is gender. I mean, like, whatever we learned whenever something influenced us and it changed our life or it opened our eyes, we tend to stick with that thing that source, that way of viewing the world, and then slowly defend ourselves against all the other ways. And we end up blaspheming all that we don't understand. Now, we would say, no, I blaspheme things that are wrong. (laughs) But you're saying that, but what's really happening is, it's just that you don't understand the other side. It feels wrong, because you don't understand it. Well, I don't see it in scripture. When I read my Bible, you won't see it. Because you haven't been programmed to see it. Because Jesus loves us so much that he won't let us see all the truth in the Bible. Otherwise, we would never need another person, let alone anybody who's different than us. He has wired you to not see good things in his word so that you need somebody else. He could have made us all the same. And we could have just shared information that we all agree with all the time. But he didn't. He's He keeps me from seeing, you ready? The Lord keeps me from seeing things that I need to give to you. Because like the Apostle Paul, I should be saying to you, I am offering you what I received from. 1 Corinthians 11. I received this from a friend. I find myself praying, Lord, I don't, you know, this is, this is a tough one. What do we say here? What do we do here? It's not coming to me. And then a friend calls and says, Hey, I'm thinking about saying this on Sunday. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that comment you just made unlocked a mode of thinking that I did not have ever in my life, but I see it crystal clear now. Right? So you see me come on Sunday morning and it's like, Well, here it is, all planned out. But that is the product of the Lord keeping me from seeing things. Because he wants me to have other people influence me to feed you what I need to feed you. Yes. That's the way he wants us to live our lives. Yeah. I share that testimony exactly. Um, but somewhere along the line, someone told me to open your mind and listen and take in what the other thoughts were. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I heard that and I listened to it. So I was able to come out of that uh, one-track mind thing. Yeah. But I believed, when I was originally taught, I believed with my whole heart, and nobody could tell me anything different. Yeah. Until... I know that was true. You raised me. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, think, I think ultimately you and Mom handed down a nice... A nice ability to be very confident in one thing, but realize you need to hear from other people as well. Right. And many of us, and I'm, we we were together at, our, at some of our early churches, right? Taught not to have an open mind because it's dangerous. It's the devil's world that's out there if you have an open mind. Mm. Open-minded hippies—you don't want to be that. Right. And it's like, my goodness gracious! It couldn't—that—that's that is cult talk. That's cult conversation. That's propaganda. That's not the way of Jesus, like, Jesus quotes Confucius when he says, do unto others. He's not an island unto himself either. (coughs) Paul quotes one of our, all of our favorite verses. In him we live and move and have our being. But that's not Paul, that's Epimenides. That's just hip-hop from back then. (laughs) So here's the question, if you read it in the, in the poetry book, would it be scripture? Maybe. Because Paul quoted it in what we call scripture, right? So he's open. When we were talking about baptism, there's a reason why this has taken a really long time to get. Because we're fighting through things that we were all taught, starting with me. I needed to understand what I was being taught when people were saying, we should be baptizing infants. I'm like, no, we shouldn't. And I think I'm going to get on an airplane and leave. But you hang in there and you learn, well, I don't see that in scripture. Well, here's the thing. I do now, but I didn't when I was first told. You're just all not around for my meltdowns. They're incredibly entertaining. (laughs) All these people who come speak, and many who don't, have, well, we've made them work. I've made them work. At a diner, at a coffee shop, in the car. They probably left so exhausted by me. They probably know exactly how Jacqueline feels on a daily basis. But it's like you have to sit there and say, well, I don't see it. But the realization has to be, God didn't grace me to see everything. And I become a cult unto myself if I only live off of what I see. Stuart, can, actually, know, I'll read it. Stuart actually sent me a picture that I thought was fantastic just now, during our break. And I I don't, I can't get it up onto the uh, screen, but it says, just because you are right doesn't mean I'm wrong. You just haven't seen life from my side. Right? And so getting out of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's right or it's wrong reality, and entering life to say, like, I'm not, oh, I'm not necessarily wrong, I'm just not full. My view isn't necessarily wrong. It's just not complete. Right? And so they blaspheme all that they don't understand. And they're destroyed by what they understand instinctively. What does that mean? That means developing echo chambers and confirmation bias. And the world shrinks. What happens? You walk in the way of Cain. What does that mean? Read Genesis 4. You stop responding to God and begin... Living defensively towards your neighbor. Your own sibling. Listen, living in your own algorithm will destroy our sibling relationship in Christ. When we say our father, right? It's because we are children of God, yes? yes? If we blaspheme what we don't understand, I won't read it if I can't understand it, I won't talk about it if I can't understand it, what will happen is you'll be you'll end up being destroyed by what you do understand, and you will be saying, My Father in heaven, not our father in heaven. You will ruin the sibling relationships you have in the Lord in your life. They walked in Balaam's error. Simply put, Balaam, the Lord told me not to go with you. Well, we really want you to come. Let's see if God will change his mind. Really, Balaam? God says, Go. And Balaam starts beating his donkey because his donkey keeps seeing the Lord and Balaam can't. That's what happens when you are blaspheming all that you don't understand and living by what you understand instinctively, you will stop seeing Jesus in the road. And you will start to hurt those things that are seeing Jesus in the road, telling you you're not seeing Jesus in the road. I'm in a current situation with somebody who is not seeing the 30,000 ways in which Jesus is opposing this decision they're making. And nope, 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 it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. It's not fine. It's not fine. And then Korah's rebellion. Simply put, Korah decides we're all experts, not just Moses. And we could all be doing what Moses is doing. Now, you could keep that in the church and it could get narcissistic really fast. But at the end of the day, I've watched people, especially when 2020 came, literally ignore PhD-level medical advice because some dude in a pickup truck on YouTube said something.
3: <laughs>
1: come quickly, Lord Jesus. Like, like, when Jesus didn't come back in 2020, I'm like, you're not coming, are you? It's just one of those situations where you said you'll be back and you're not. Good move. Right? Like, there's just, you see people, like, like Ian, can you go back to the Baldwin quote from the very, very beginning? I know you're having technical difficulties. I think it's better to know that you don't know. This is the opposite of the way Cora was. The way you can grow with the mystery as the mystery grows in you. But these days, of course, everybody knows everything. The respect of the professional is getting lost because we all can do our research, and it's not helpful. We end up destroying our sibling relationships with each other, we end up not seeing Jesus in the road, and we end up fancying ourselves experts in all things. It's a reason why 90% of what me and Jacqueline say in counseling is, are you seeing anyone? Like, well, we're coming to you. No. No. We will always be with you, but there are other professionals that you need in your life. Our lane exists, but it's not all the lanes. There are plenty of things that are well beyond our pay grade, well beyond our expertise, well beyond what we are called to do. And so the question is, okay, Pastor Bill, Jacqueline, what do we do then? What do we do to keep us from blaspheming all that we don't understand, and being destroyed by the few things of the many wonderful things that we understand instinctively, what do we do? And to answer that question, we're going to turn it over to the greatest teacher, Salem Tabernacle has.
2: Um, So I was reading Philippians and thought that there were a few verses that talked about how to process the content once we're receiving it in. So if we could go to Philippians 4 and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So the first thing that these verses say is to be reasonable um for me we all think that we're reasonable right but i think this shows up especially when we're hearing other people's stances or opinions that we disagree with what is the our first response to that is it a doubling down is it we're listening but we're no longer hearing Um, Or, I love this phrase by uh, Chris Green. He always says, Can you say more about that? And so, that phrase I think is just a really good one to approach like reasonableness. Can you say more about that? I want to take a second glance. I don't want to just have the first thing that I see or the first thing that pops into my head be what I'm standing on. I'm going to be reasonable. I'm going to be someone that can be reasoned with and examine reasoning and not just take it at face value, take what I thought right away and then move on or or fire back, right? So again, first be reasonable. Second, he says, "Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God." So second, be prayerful when you're processing things. If you're talking or posting more than you are praying for something, there's a big problem, right? So, and this goes with conspiracy theories, right? Like you think that you have a special knowledge about the government or an organization. It goes with knowledge you might have about a friend, right? That God's revealed something about it. If you are talking about this thing more than you're praying, you really, really need to reconsider it.
1: And can we just say here, this is so important, praying about it is actually praying about it, right? So actually praying about it, Mm -hmm. and which for me would be sitting there not saying much, but thinking about what I'm thinking about and waiting for the Lord to give me a thought. But also, it's reading the Bible is always prayer. Reading the Bible is prayer. Every time you read the Bible, you're communicating with God. It's prayer. (laughs) Reading something like Matthew 5, 6, and 7 regularly, and then matching up your view with does it fit inside of the most cohesive sermon Jesus taught. So this view that you have, does it fit inside of blessed are the poor? Does it fit inside of Do not be anxious. Does it fit inside of do not be greedy? Does it fit inside of go the extra mile? Like reading something like Matthew 5, 6, and 7 or reading Philippians chapter 2 and saying, does what I have in my mind, what I believe to be true about the world or the ways in which I feel like I'm supposed to live out what I believe to be true, does it fit into the category of Jesus? But to do that, you'll have to think through that and also ask other people to say, I think this view that I have fits in with the Sermon on the Mount. Do you? And not just look for confirmation bias, but let yourself be reasonable, meaning able to be reasoned with. We're not, we shouldn't be soldiers with information. We should be able to be reasoned with. Well, I might get taken advantage Yes. And let me just get that 10,000 pound gorilla out of the room. If you live a life closed off from getting taken advantage of, you're also going to live a life closed off from learning. You're, you're going to go wrong. You're going to misstep. It's not going to, something's going to happen where you, you got duped. You believe something you shouldn't believe. That's fine. Because if you're reasonable, you'll know when that happens. Right? And you'll, you'll, you'll pivot. You'll change. You'll, you'll, you'll realize it was wrong. But if you live like, I'm never going to get duped, I'm never going to get tricked, the closed-door policy, you'll end up being destroyed by what you believe instinctively. So there is risk. If you go to avoid risk, you're going to get destroyed in another way. So being duped or being wrong is a risk whichever way you do this. So we might as well do it being reasonable. Does that make sense? Yeah
2: makes a lot of sense.
1: Do you remember the video we posted uh, from the, from the, uh, that clip of the sermon where I was talking about free will? And I said, if, if Theo was standing on train tracks and a train was coming and he wouldn't get off the train tracks, I said on a Sunday morning, I would violate Theo's free will to get him off the train tracks if I had the ability to do it. Yeah. And every good parent said Amen. I would do the same thing, right? So in the moment, it got a good response from everybody, so we posted it on our Salem Instagram. But when we listened to it the next day on Instagram, and it was only that clip, we started to feel like we should take it down, because if somebody didn't hear the whole sermon and just heard that, and that person maybe had trauma in their life, maybe somebody violated their free will in a negative way, and they heard me yelling about it on a Sunday, but they didn't hear the other... 25 minutes before and 25 minutes after it could be taken the wrong way and so we had to say we shouldn't have put that up there that made sense in the context of a Sunday but it doesn't make sense in a clip of only 30 seconds so we had to take it down we had to say it wasn't right that we put it up we have to take it down well did the Lord it wasn't right that we put it up we should take it down That's us trying to be reasonable. Realizing you made a mistake. This could only be understood in context. This isn't a good context for it. Take it down. Right? So like, can we do that as a habit of life? I said something, but I should call that person to apologize, which is the equivalent of taking it down. I thought this for 20 years, but I should change. Because it turns out, could have thought it better. Right, It's being reasonable.
2: The thing that I love about the second part of that section of verses, it says, and the peace of God. And so that and acts as a transition from what happened just before that to say also this. So when it's saying, don't be anxious, but in everything, bring prayer and supplication because God's at hand. And then it says, and the peace of God, it's saying that God works through our prayers. Our our prayers are something that he works with and works through. So when it says it surpasses all understanding, especially when we're watching the news or looking at politics, it could get really obviously depressing and we could despair and our thoughts could become obsessive maybe about specific things that we're reading and learning. And I think this is just saying that that prayer keeps us grounded so it doesn't get obsessive Mm. so that we remember that God is here. God is at hand and the peace that passes understanding when we get anxious or obsessive. I think sometimes we think if we think about this enough, we can come to an inner resolve Mm. about this terrible thing that we're thinking. But this is saying pray and offer supplications with thanksgiving and God's going to give you peace that passes your understanding. So you may not have the resolve that we often can't get right now with the world the way that it is. But when we we pray, there's that peace that will pass our ability to understand something. Um, And, and that is what, what God gives us is what guards our hearts and our minds. To be able to not just let everything in and upset like a storm our entire lives. Um, Number three, be meditative. So when it says to think about these things and it says what's true, what's honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent praise. I believe this is talking about the gospel that we can take in all types of information, but then we have to hold it up to the lens of the gospel. So when, you, when you're looking at something through a microscope, right, you're, you're putting it under the, the lens. You're narrowing your focus. And we often say being narrow-minded isn't good. And in a lot of ways, it isn't the way that we're talking about it. But I do believe that we can look at everything with fresh eyes and not be that type of narrow-minded while also focusing the gospel in on it. And that needs to be the rubric, that needs to be the main way that we evaluate all the information that we take in and then what are we gonna do with it? How do we process this? What are we going to do with it once we've sifted through it? The gospel has to be the lens. And so whenever you're reading texts or you're hearing from a personal source, we're always looking at it through lenses. In my English classes, Uh, in college, we would spend a lot of time going through the different lenses that you could read through things, right? There's the historical lens. So you look at the history of the time and how it relates to the text. There's the reflective lens. What am I thinking and feeling while I'm reading the text? There's all kinds of crazy lenses like the Freudian lens, which we won't get into, (laughs) but there's many different ways that you're viewing the text through a different lens. And I believe this text is saying, focus on the gospel, focus on the gospel story. And that doesn't mean that this text isn't saying you have to always think about things that are positive because the gospel story has suffering in it. It has pain. It has death, but that's not the final part of the story. It's always tempered by the hope. That we have for the resurrection, that God's going to restore all things. So we have to view everything that we take in with that lens.
1: And so this is not just the biblical text, but also all the information that we're processing in the world that's outside of the biblical text. It needs to be brought into our meditations on the biblical text. But our meditations on the biblical text also need to be subjected to pushback from faithful community around us so that our paradigm of understanding the gospel is healthy so that we could understand these other political things and informational things and medical things. And all all the information coming at us, we can process it healthy because our processing of the gospel is healthy because we're not processing the gospel by ourselves. Right? So that's like that that lineage is important when it comes to all the information.
2: Yeah, and I think that we especially these days with so much information we're taking in all the time can be very double-minded in our minds. That there's many different voices that are in competition within us. And so I think that that focus on the gospel and everything that we are taking in will help narrow that down to to one voice, right? The the gospel voice speaking into our lives um so that the other voices are not in competition, so that they're drowned out. Um and, and just as an example, um we were talking to Sophia recently about a story in the Bible and we said She asked us the question. We said, does that sound like God? And she said, no. And then we said, why not? What do you think God would want us to learn from this? And her answer was just.
1: Want to scandalize everybody and tell them what it was?
2: Sure, go ahead. (laughs) We're at dinner. I wasn't sure if you wanted to. ah, What what
1: the heck? If if they don't like it, we'll blame it on Sophia. (laughs) (laughs) We're at dinner and Sophia says, daddy, did God really kill everybody with a flood? And I'm like, can we just enjoy this ham and cheese sandwich that we're having right now? And I said, what do you think? And she goes, I'm not sure. I said, well, let me ask you this question. Do you think God would do something like that? Do you think he would kill everybody that he made? And she goes, no. I said, well, then why would he tell us the story the way he told it? She said, well, because we need to know that if we don't love each other or the environment, that it has terrible consequences. I said, nice. And I said, but why did he choose a flood in that story to, to kill everybody? Why didn't, if he was just telling a story, why didn't he pick something else? And she goes, well, because it's water. And water cleanses your mind so that you think new thoughts. So those people died, but they didn't die-die. They died in the sense that they started thinking new things she said she said that right like yeah we almost
2: fell out of our chairs i was writing it down on my phone like this is amazing i I had
1: my hands up in the air i was just like this is i sophia say i see that hand you can put it down like and so i said well sophia that's that's like baptism and she goes that's like the baptism i'm gonna have the water in the baptism is like the flood
2: you go girl (laughs) it (laughs) the faith of a child right so the faith of a child i think can easily see what's true honorable just pure lovely (laughs) what is god like right which is essentially the basis of that question um but yes i think that we need to meditate on those things and i also think that we need to meditate on those things about other people How we think about other people, how we talk about other people, is that through the lens of the gospel as well. Um, Recently, someone who's been at this church for a long time uh, just quickly said that they were proud of me. And it was a very encouraging moment, but I was thinking about how amazing it was to hear that all of my life growing up with people at the church that the the people that were older than me would speak things like that to me that they would speak love to me that they would speak things that maybe my young teenage mind wasn't thinking about myself or wasn't saying to myself um so i think it's really important as well i just want to encourage you uh to look for ways to speak it, not just think it, but speak it to other people. Um, It really makes a difference. I can say as a child growing up in the church, it really makes a difference to kids, even if they act like they don't really care about what you said. Um, It sticks. It really does. So I think that uh, it really matters to someone's life to even speak something small like that, something they'll remember for a long time.
1: And I think sticking with that statement, Uh, that Sophia said, sorry, Steve, that Sophia, he said, Steve says I quote Sophia too many times. So every time Steve is around, I do it like 38 times. She said, God wouldn't do that. And what obviously Sophia doesn't know is David Bentley Hart, one of the most educated Christian theologian philosophers who's still alive in our time, said, if you, the only qualified people to tell us what God is really like are children, because their morals haven't been compromised yet. No, God wouldn't do that. Then why would he tell that story? Because obviously he's teaching us a lesson, clearly. It's like, well, Sophia, it hasn't been cleared to a lot of people. But like the question is, when you believe something, when you're going to vote for somebody, when you receive information that you say, oh, I'm going to put this in a group text and send it to people, ask yourself, would Jesus endorse that? Does that sound like him? Does that sound like something he would say when you collect all the words in red? Does that sound like it can echo and affirm those words? If you're not sure, don't send it. Send it to me. Don't send it to anybody else.
2: And also a little side note. Sign up for Salem Kids so you can have uh, the children <laughs> preach to
1: you every Sunday. <laughs> nice plug. Yeah. Nice plug. They're the best um, commentaries on scripture ever.
2: And then the last part is... Be disciplined. The last verse that we read says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. So practicing, building up the spiritual immune system so that when temptation comes, you have the spiritual disciplines to fall back on. Um, Just some examples, fasting. Fasting this is all practical stuff, fasting, actually saying no in the moment to things that you enjoy. Maybe you do enjoy um, scrolling, looking at news articles, talking with your friends, but maybe there's a time where you just have to say no in the moment and and be intentional and aware about something that is enjoyable.
1: Um, So if you enjoy not eating, then your fasting would be eating. So that could be fun, if you're one of, if you're one of those people. Yeah, yeah, uh. I wish
2: I had that problem. <laughs> um, prayer. Uh, being aware of the Holy Spirit, being prayerful, being aware of the Holy Spirit at the times where you would normally go on autopilot. Mm. So when you would normally just do things throughout your day or zone out or um, I just want to relax at the end of my long day, so I'm just going to do this activity Um, being prayerful about the types of conversations that you're having the way that you are scrolling through information be prayerful Um, another example to practice intentional conversations Bill and I have talked a lot about this about how our conversations us personally but also that we're noticing a lot of people are not having spiritual conversations anymore That our conversations when we're with other people are just about secular, everyday things, but we never bring those things into the light of spiritual discussion as well. So not being afraid to go back to that a little bit and to actually bring up with other people, hey, how are you doing? What has God been talking to you about? Or what have you been learning? What have you been studying how can I pray for you? Things like that. Right.
1: Can I, can I say something? Yes. Also like recognize in a, this is very important. What Jacqueline is saying, recognize in a conversation with somebody else, when you just went from friendly banter to a serious conversation, right? So like there's times where, You know, I hear everybody get up, I come up the stairs, because obviously I'm more spiritual than everybody in my house and I'm down there at four thirty in the morning praying and reading and everyone else is still sleeping. And then I, I come up from being in the glory light with the Lord and I sit down and you know, the kids are tearing around the house, we're starting to get ready for work. You know, Jacqueline and I are like basically having the grab and go conversations of the morning. And then, you know, I'll say something like, man, Sophia seems to be a little out of control. And Jacqueline will be like, well, you know, I was thinking about our daily routines with her. And right there, I'll do something like, all right, hold on, stop. Let me pour some coffee. If I, if I right now try to have this conversation, it just went from what are we doing today? Do we need to iron? Do we need to get Sophia lunch stuff? To we're going to talk about her daily routines and her temperament. We need to shift out of the mode my brain is in right now. And get into the mode of a serious conversation. And if that can't happen in that moment, then we have to not have that conversation right then and there. Mark it and have it when we can. But I think too often we slip into serious conversations when we're not, like our inner posture isn't ready to have them yet. And I think it especially happens with text messaging. Can I get an amen from somebody? Are you coming tonight? What are you doing this week? I love you. Miss you. Bible verses here's a funny reel all of a sudden you're talking about Donald Trump and you're like alright pause pause everything this just went from funny Instagram reels to a conversation where my words are now going to matter every one of them that I write in this text message pause and ask yourself do you have the time are you at work are you okay today Right? Like, ask yourself these questions, and then ask yourself, I was just uh, talking with my mother-in-law about this, asking yourself, what does this other person actually need right now? And do they need this conversation now? Or will they need it in a week, and it may be better to have it then? But if we don't, if we just go with the momentum and try to have in our homes, with our kids, and then with each other, if we just try to have conversations... And then go from one temperament to another, but we're, we're, we're bringing in content that takes certain level of patience and clarity that not all of us have at every moment of the day or ever, right? In those moments, we have to say, hey, I want to talk about this, but maybe we should get coffee, or maybe we should talk about this tonight, or maybe we should never talk about this via text, <laughs> But like I think, I think being aware, like you said, intentional conversations. Know who you are, where you are, and how you are, and then know the medium that you're using. This is great, but this is not for settling disputes. <laughs> it's not. It creates them. It sugarcoats them. It allows them to trick you into thinking <clears throat> they're resolved. The Holy Spirit's telling me to stop. It's your go. I'm choking. <laughs> It's your turn. <laughs> this has never happened to me before. Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, and um, every conversation is priestly, right? Where two or three are gathered, mm. he's there. So if, there's, if it's you talking to yourself, maybe not. But if there's <laughs> you talking to another person, it's priestly. And so we do need to be mindful that God's there and he, he wants to speak into it. Um, And then the last thing, obviously, is reading scriptures because um, scriptures, as we've seen, can be used against us in temptation form. But Jesus speaks back scriptures and he's Mm. very often speaking uh, the scriptures in the Gospels. So reading the scriptures and all of these other things are ways that we can... Focus our minds back on the gospel.
1: Does anybody have any thoughts about anything from today? Ideas. Pastor. Yes.
0: Nobody else speaking, so
1: <laughs> it's I'm all you.
0: Enough to speak. Christ the Lord, Jack, Jacqueline. Thank you for what you said. Yes. Once again, you opened up my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when you was talking about, you know those different techniques and you know it seemed like a lot of with the social media and all that what about in real time some of these people work they work in with and i said some of you because i'm retired (laughs)
2: congratulations
0: (laughs) but um for people that are working in the secular world and some people don't know okay you're gonna meet people every day, you know? And so, some people need to know how do you bring that into a conversation with someone who don't really know the Lord. Mm-hmm. Gotta be real. Yeah,
2: Everything absolutely. Everything
0: is in on social media every time, every moment. Yeah. We're in contact, we're in movement, okay? give you an example for those who are thinking different. Being reasonable. Sometimes someone just want to talk. Um, with everything going on, people have things on their mind. Look at their eyes. Everybody's not elderly and just need a friend. We have 35-year-olds who just need a word, and they don't know it. Be reasonable meet them where they at Mm
3: -hmm.
0: pray for why you talking to them heavenly spirit open up my mind while he's talking Mm -hmm. to give him or her a word be meditative you meditating in your heart you can multitask Mm -hmm. God is good he understands and be in discipline knowing when to cut off the conversation and leave it there and walk away yeah Mm -hmm. I'll give an example. The other day, yeah, I know. Sorry, guys. I work with teenagers. Help me out.
1: I could listen to your stories all day long.
0: (laughs) No, but I'm going to make it short. Um, I was raking and putting stuff in the bag. So someone said, well, you done did all this. Go to the front of the yard. There's some stuff left. There was a young man you know, with the earphones on, and he was doing other people's yards. So he took off the earphones, looked at me, and said, hi, how are you? So I said to myself, well, you know, that was nice of him, but I had said it already before he said hello. If he don't speak, I don't speak. I don't act holier than thou, I'm human. He said, hi, hey, hi, how are you? And then he looked at me, and put his hands on the truck and said, I'm tired. I said, you tired, you're a young man. And he said, I'm real tired, I work hard. I work seven days a week. I said, oh, that's the problem. You need Sundays off.
1: Amen. (laughs)
0: So I wasn't going to go into the whole Sabbath thing, don't get me wrong.
3: (laughs) But something stopped me and said, "Uh -uh, uh-huh,
0: he can't handle that. So I said, man, just one day off, I've been there, and I know how you feel. So he said, I'm real tired. I said, is that your business? He said, part of it. And when he said, I work seven days a week, I said, oh, you got seven kids. Made a little jokey joke. He started laughing. So I said, you need to just give yourself that little bit of time and take your time. You just need a little time for yourself. I said, um, he said, well, I just have so much to do. And I said, but you, need, you just need the time for yourself. You could think clearer and you can organize your life better. And he, sa- he said, uh-huh, I'll, I'll, I'll think about that. He said, but it's money. I said, we all need it, don't we? Yeah. You know? And I said, so just do that. So I wanted to kind of end the conversation. He said something else, and I said, but stop saying you're tired. You working, yeah, you working hard, but do what you got to do and just limit it. I said, I'm doing what I have to do, and you want to be around longer. I'm 65. He said, well, I'm 35, and I hope I can walk. And I said, walk? You should be able to run Mm at 65. I said, so just do that, and everything will work out for you. And he said, he looked at me and said, thank you, thank you. Now, I didn't want to conversate, okay? But in my mind, I knew I had to be reasonable, because I knew he wanted to talk when he stopped what he was doing. I knew I had to be prayerful, so I wouldn't come out of my face wrong. (laughs) I didn't do that. I knew I had to be negative in my mind, talking to the Lord while I'm talking to him. And I also knew I had to cut it off so the conversation wouldn't go left, okay? Because he could have talked about other things, and so could I. So you got to know yourself, know the conversation, and know when to end it. Yep. He's not walking with the Lord. I wouldn't know. I am. So that's maybe how we can use those techniques. Yeah, you know
1: what? I I love that because the tendency for all of us when we're on autopilot is to either not be open to anything outside the flow of what we're doing and we miss all these conversations that we could have. Mm -hmm. Because we're just solely focused on ourselves and... Even in a good way, I need to get down my stuff, I can't afford to have any other conversations. Or, and we all know people like this, any question that is asked to them, they take it as an opportunity to preach all the Gospels in their life that they want to preach. Even if it has nothing to do, they just take any moment, any crack in the door, to say their political views, their social views, their gender view. I mean all their views. What you were doing was you were using the gas and the brake at the same time i got to say something, but I can't say everything. I should say this, but I definitely should end soon. I'm not going to talk to him about Jesus, but I'm going to offer him a gospel thing, which is the Sabbath. But I'm not going to tell him all about the Sabbath. I'm just going to offer him a day off. Like, be that That's maturity, and that's exhausting. That takes work. It doesn't take any work to not talk, and it doesn't take any work to vomit everything you've ever wanted to say. It takes work to open and close the valve and to know when, and to be sitting there. When you're done with conversations like that, you can feel the fatigue because you were working in those moments. Believe it or not, when I'm done preaching on Sundays, my back hurts from restraining myself. <laughs> no, it doesn't seem like I do. But, like, not saying things, it's like my, my actual back hurts because it's so much tension navigating... When should I keep going? When should I stop? What should I say? How should I say it? Is this the moment? Is that the moment? That's work. And that's loving somebody. That's the labor of love. That's loving somebody. Excellent. Excellent story. It fits into everything that we were talking about. Yeah.
0: I was tired. You were yeah. Right. I didn't know it. I walked in the house and sat down.
1: That's an you being so right Being mature life. and loving somebody is tiring. It's why Jesus and John 4 sat down because he was wearied from his journey. Because all he ever did was love. And love makes you tired. What did he say when the woman with the issue of blood touched him? I felt what go out of me? He got tired. All of a sudden he got fatigued and was like, oof, I just did something. Right? Love costs you. Energy. It does. It's the labor of love. Anything else? Hmm. Not all at once. Is there anything that Doreen needs us to say so we don't have to be worried about our lives later? I don't think so. You no. good? Good. Okay. Let's stand to our feet. Salem, these were fun this year. We're going to talk about how we want to do this next year, but this was great. We appreciated all of them. Appreciate you. Heavenly Father, I pray a blessing on everyone here, everyone not here, and I pray... That you would give us the grace to be reasonable, to be able to be formed, reformed, born, born again. I just pray that you would give us the grace to enjoy what we listen to, enjoy what we believe, feel passionate about callings and things that we want other people to know. But at the same time, pray that none of them become a golden calf. None of them become something that we worship. But I pray that everything we believe. And everything that we listen to would be determined by the one in whom we worship. And so I thank you for that. Pray that you would give us all traveling mercies as we journey back to your house tomorrow. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everybody said, have a wonderful rest of the Saturday.
0: Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.